Welcome to No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined across the ocean and a couple countries by my colleague Yannick Schneider of Germany. Yannick, thank you for being on here. Guten Abend. Hallo, guten Abend. Herzlich willkommen. Welcome. Thank you for inviting me again. So obviously, Yannick, as people can tell from our German exchange, you are in Germany, but you just got back from Prague at the first Billie Jean King Cup. This is the renamed Fed Cup. And I'm very curious to hear your impressions to this event, uh, which is the first time the women are playing in this format, this sort of World Cup one location finals format. I'll start generally. What did you think of the event? And, and can you talk about your experiences there uh, watching it and covering it. Yeah, basically, it was my first tournament on site uh, as a journalist outside of Germany since the Australian Open 2020. Well, like since the French Revolution, as long <laughs> it felt it felt that long. And I'm back at Germany now since uh, 20 hours. I came home yesterday evening with an eight-hour eight-hour train travel. Um, overall, the bottom line, Ben, is it was way better than expected. But still, there are some problems that the tournament have. But also, we as a journalist, we as journalists, have to work there. But it was a good restart, I think, and it was the right choice of me. Uh, I booked it six weeks ago. Without knowing if if I get an accreditation, I also will be present at at Turin uh, starting next weekend, and then the Davis Cup with the German group in Innsbruck. So it was a good start. Good. So let's talk about the guest tournament competitively first. I mean, I think there was only, I believe, two or three, three, uh, no, two. Excuse me, only two top ten players who are competing with singles rankings: uh, Barbara Krejcikova and Angelique Kerber were the only two from the top 10 who are on these teams. So not the kind of star power that we would you would hope for for a tournament like this that's wanting to be, you know... That's also not that different necessarily from the sort of rates of Fed Cup participation in earlier years. What did you think of the level of, of the play and just sort of the spirit of the competition? Did it feel like it was, you know, a world championship kind of event? Mm. I wouldn't consider myself as a fan in tennis, but I'm really a fan of team events. It mm. was always it was was always the way. One of my best experience uh, in my first years uh, as a journalist was 2018, back in the days when I was uh, a fixed editor at German tennis magazine. I covered all the Davis Cup events, and Germany had the wild uh, travel tour. They played in Brisbane two weeks after the Australian Open, and then yeah. also in a in a bull ring in Valencia in front of uh, 8,000 crazy Spanish people, and it gave me. This real Davis Cup wipes, uh, and if you remember, it was the last year of the original Davis Cup, and I was really, really sad. Uh, I was like, I was fighting as a journalist for the values of the uh, Fed Cup and the Davis Cup event itself, and now I, I was present at the new system, and yeah, it's a big problem. Uh, we also should mention, like for example, Belinda Bencic as a big name as Olympic champion yeah. who is present there f for Switzerland. And yeah, I think she's ranked 17. Yeah, there's a couple other players yeah, yeah. who are who are like Pavlyuchenkova is 12. I was just I was just cutting a line at top 10, sort of arbitrary. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. But but I mentioned yeah. her because I was able to to speak with her. Uh, there was only one uh, Swiss uh, journalist. So uh, uh, for those who don't know, the Swiss German uh, and the normal German are not that uh, different. So I managed to to put question to her after the match against uh, Germany. 
two days ago. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to know, like, because she really, really plays very well on the flag. Olympic champion, uh, also played very decent at the... Um, Hopman Cup. Uh, at the Hopman Cup, thank you. Uh, I'm bad with names sometimes. And, <laughs> okay. um, um, and she always uh, mentioned herself that she likes to play in, 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 in red and, and uh, white. And she said, yeah, it's, uh, it's a... She criticized, first of all, the federations, like because of all the stuff going on with the calendar. And she said the, the, the worst thing about it is that you have the, the new... Billie Jean King Cup now, this week, and the VTA, WTA finals next week on altitude yeah. in a complete different um, um, area. Yeah. And that's also a big problem. But when we speak about that, you have to speak about change of calendar. And we all know, and your regular listeners also very know very clearly how difficult it is between ATP, WTA, and ITF. And ITF is uh, also a big part of it. So, yeah. Difficult. Yeah, it's definitely difficult. And this is, you know, I think a unique situation where obviously the WTA didn't know for a long time where the finals was going to be. Um, and also, we should mention also the the Davis, uh, sorry, excuse me, the Billie Jean King Cup finals were originally, when they announced this plan, I went to the press conference in 2019 in London before Wimbledon, where they mm -hmm. unveiled that they were naming it the Billie Jean King Cup and also that they uh, were holding it in one site only. And it was then a big production of the Hungarian Tennis Federation who had paid for the rights to this. Um, yes. And there's been a lot, there's a lot of, <laughs> I hear from some Hungarian colleagues about this, there's a lot of internal politics strife in the Hungarian Tennis Federation. And it's a very contentious group uh, with some big ambitions, but a lot of contention. And basically they got a new president who didn't want the event anymore. And so the Billie Jean King Cup was sort of an orphan for a while mm -hmm. um, until the uh, Czech Tennis Federation brought it in. And, yeah, maybe and maybe I broad. can check in there. Maybe I can check in there because this is a very important point you, you brought yeah. up. I, I spoke with uh, the ITF uh, persons then. I also spoke with two, three uh, journalists from Czech Republic. And basically it was like this, like they only had seven weeks to organize the event. You know, it was yeah. seven, eight weeks before the event. And for that reason, it was very well organized, like, I really can applaud for them. You have to see like 12 teams with COVID restrictions. Every team had an own um, uh, changing room, own restaurant room, own uh, um, room for activities to stay. Um, it was in the O2 arena. Uh, it was built original for the Ice Hockey World Championships 2004. It, it's a massive, massive arena 17,000 people there now um, the numbers in Prague were growing um, 12,000 people were were allowed and Saturday before they went so on Monday evening the Czech Republic were playing against Germany and while we are recording uh, the Czech are playing against Switzerland for the final space in the round uh, last four but what I wanted to to note is that um, you there were 10,000 tickets so um, bought so it was nearly sold out and it was very, very full. But this is now the original problem. You have, you had have, um, a, a packed crowd for the host team, obviously against Germany. And I felt all the Fed Cup and Davis Cup wipes on the, on the uh, tribune I had back in 2018. But six hours ago, I was sitting there at 10 30 a.m. Uh, and the defending champion France uh, against Canada, and there were nearly 250 people in this 
17,000 arena. And this is the, this is the overall problem, of course. And I don't think, I don't think we will ever solve this problem because we are not football and not every, uh, country is uh, traveling to the World Cup because it's not the tradition and tennis is also not that big in terms of traveling with fans uh, because they are not used to it. Also, we have COVID. We have still we have still uh, the pandemic. So you can't say to 5,000 Canadian tennis fans travel to Prague now to, to, to support their team. This was something, obviously, that came up for the first time when they did the first uh, Davis Cup in the new format in Madrid in 2019. Mm where they had actually a really, really elite group of players. Like, all the best players showed up. They paid a lot of money to the player, with the exception of a couple, Federer. And I guess Federer wasn't even, Switzerland didn't qualify. And then and he went on his exhibition tour and took Zverev with him, who was on the um, German team. So German, so Zverev didn't yes. go. But pretty much everyone else of the best players who was on the, t- on the teams who qualified was there. And they had really great crowds for matches that featured the Spain team, which won the tournament, so all the way through the final. Um, but some of the other events on the outer courts were incredibly empty. And, yeah. um, and you know, it's tough to know how much of that is down to promotion. That's, that was different because that wasn't during a pandemic and that was not sort of a last-minute thing. So they would have had a chance. But I think there had just been so much negative publicity about that format and so much resistance to it that I don't think people got excited about the idea of it being a destination tennis trip. So it was this weird thing where, you know, the players were, the player field was fantastic. The encore product of the matches was pretty good. Um, in Madrid, I'm talking, you're talking about, about, you're talking I'm, about I'm, the I'm, Davis I'm, Cup now. I'm, talking or, about, I'm still talking about Madrid 2019. Yeah. yeah, yeah but, yeah, yeah, yeah. but the, but the crowds was empty. So it was like, they got two thirds of the equation. They got the players, they got the, you know, good product that they seemed to buy into. There was this whole thing where like Tipsarovich retired at that tournament and all the Serbs were like weeping. And it was, you know, like the emotion of Davis Cup was there for sure. But the fans were just not there at all. They completely missed that part of the equation. And you're right, yeah, tennis fans don't have are not football fans or soccer fans. They do not have the sort of history of packing, you know, into venues in foreign countries to support their team. Uh, there's a couple of small traveling groups of, of loyal fans that will do this. In the U.S., they have something called the Netheads, um, who are sort of the diehard uh, Davis Cup and Fed Cup supporters who will travel to different countries for ties. But yeah, that's but usually it's only small, a couple it's a hundred people. Part. Yeah, it's it's just every Germany has also this. There were like, I would say two two three hundred Germans uh, in the in the hall, uh, also organized by the German Federation. There's a small fan club and stuff like this. But this is like the the very close tennis bubble. But yeah. when I compare now the Billie Jean King Cup to the first edition of the Davis Cup two years ago, it was way. I wasn't present in. Uh, to, to be honest, in Madrid, but I spoke mm-hmm. to a lot of colleagues. I followed it uh, online and now I was present and it seemed like they learned uh, from their mistakes, uh, also in terms of not playing in the middle of the night. So, for example, um, the, the, right, the, match yeah. be- the match between uh, Czech Republic and Germany, they had a late start. Uh, it should start at five. It started uh, shortly before six and the deciding double match with the um, match tie break was finished at half past one mm-hmm. uh, a.m. So it, it was late, but it was still okay it was a packed crowd um the the players were on they were fighting um the the circumstances were good so it was a lot of uh good technology there uh presenting on the video wall also but one thing and i 
I, I love that you invited me because I want, <laughs> I wanted to take a note on that and to criticize that. Like we have to change. It's so crazy. It's a big, 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 big stadium and you have so many plays and the first 15 rows on each side were only for the presidents and for the, for the VIPs. And yeah. it looks like every tournament looks, looks like this so old fashioned. Like, and this is what you see on the video, on the television yeah. or on the streaming. Like if, if young people check in, they don't see what is going on on the fans on the, uh, on, or on the video. Uh, screen or on the technology the only thing they see which was very good was the team uh, row they were sponsored by uh, by a comp uh, computer company by a big one and it was very modern uh with with uh good good chairs and it looked very good but all the other stuff looked old-fashioned like they're just sitting old presidents and stuff like this and this took away a lot of the positive energy around the tournament but besides that it was very well organized. But for example, in Germany, it was only shown on German tennis channel, which is new, mm -hmm. not as um, developed like in the US, where it's very big in terms of tennis. It was only uh, created last year and you had to pay three euro uh, um, to have an abo for it. So only the, the tennis bubble watched yep. it and this is a pity and um i i couldn't sell a big article for my national big media they said only if german uh, germany advances to the round of last four which they didn't so yep. i only made a big interview with andrea petkovic which had a good reception worldwide because of what she was saying but besides that uh most of the people didn't know what the billy jean king was all about and the czech people they thought it would be some kind of labor cup exhibition stuff because the labor cup was in 2017 there and yep. they only know the fed cup because they were so successful the right. the czech the czech um prior guy uh, he said if you go to to prague and ask people they don't know that this is the fed cup hmm. yeah the continuity there actually let's let's talk about that briefly um this is the first time the tournament is has a new name uh from the fed cup to the billy jean king cup uh, which is not usually abbreviated, at least yet, as the King Cup. So it's this sort of long name, Billie Jean King Cup, um, for this event. Uh, they don't even really call it BJK Cup, at least in official communications yet. Um, but what, how much of a difference do you think that made uh, for the event, having this new name? And also having Billie Jean present there. And I, I, you referred to your interview you did with Pekovic. Um, you know, parts of that were about sort of Billie Jean King's legacy and her impact and and that sort of things. Uh, what, what did you think about the that change in the in the sort of framing of, of the event. Because I feel like once you put Billie Jean King's name on something, you know, it evokes a, a specific kind of energy and a specific kind of ethos Responsibility. and certain values and that, that she that she sort of stands for. Yeah. And was and responsibility. I think mm -hmm. with all that we, we spoke about the last ten minutes, um, it's the best thing about the new format. It's the mm -hmm. name. So I think the organizers did a lot of things right with that decision because uh, the players know what is the responsibility about Billie Jean King, uh, the values, what she brought, uh, that she created the WTA tour with a lot of brave uh, women and people around mm -hmm. the time in the late 60s, uh, uh, early 70s and uh, what she fought for. And I think... This is the best thing about the whole competition and it will bring values and opportunities for the next years. 
she she is also present in Prague since Tuesday. She will have a big media day on Saturday around the final. Um, I, I mentioned the video uh, screen. There were uh, during the breaks they were shown uh, a lot of advertisement with her, where she uh, spoke up, uh, said the right things, mm -hmm. and uh, I think this is a big advantage also uh, if you compare it with the Davis Cup to have like a legacy uh, i yeah. think she was also the first she won the first uh setup of fed cup in 63 with the us she won yeah. seven she won seven fed cups as a player three as a as a coach uh, you see i made my homework before the petkovic <laughs> interview and of course uh, for those who who don't know andrea petkovic that well the, um, i think you know you know her she likes to speak about in general <laughs> but yeah. she likes to speak uh, about this kind of topic she also read her book obviously mm. she did a recent uh, um, a summary also in uh, in record magazine i just i i knew before the interview i just have to drop two or three things and then she will she will go on and it was uh, exactly like this uh, maybe we can speak about interview about the most important part it was really yeah I, I would actually i was going to ask if you can do it just if you can because i'm guessing most people haven't read this interview in german um if you can talk just a little bit about what uh what some of the interesting things pekovic said about billy jean and her her legacy are mm -hmm. uh, first of all it was for my german media sportschau it's uh the digital media of the first german television of the sports section they were one of the first companies media company that supported me when i was starting freelancing uh, two years ago um, and I was very grateful that they gave me the opportunity and um, if you want to read the full interview you can go on my Twitter page on, on Schneean and I also translated a bit in English the most important parts were that she said like for example what Billie Jean King did for the tour in terms of that we have to educate the, the young players with the story of Billie Jean King, not only with creating WTA, also with with the the matchup um, she had in the uh, Battle of the Sexes. Mm -hmm. uh, Pat Andrea said basically it was a lose 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 situation for Billie Jean King before that. If she wouldn't, if she would have said no, uh, she would have been a coward. If she would have lost the match, everyone would have said like you lost against the old guy. And after she won, after she won. The reception was, yeah, but it was a 55-year-old 50, white guy. What's the, what's the big thing about? And um, that was what she was talking about. And the most important thing was the answer towards um, sexism in tennis. I asked her if she ever felt harassed or uh, felt bad as a woman or not equally as a woman. Just not in private life, just as a tennis pro on the WTA coach. And then she gave... A very decent answer that she not felt personally harassed on the tour, but that there are there obviously things like after every match, most of the players, or she said every female player, get messages on social media like uh, regarding the clothes, the hair, and stuff like that, what they were wearing. And also yeah. she mentioned, for example, the French Open two years ago when it was raining two days and uh, the semifinals. On the men's side were played on the big courts and the women's yeah. matches were played uh, on the small courts and she called it i don't know the exactly english uh, translation so excuse me for what like but slightly sexism uh not in a big way but permanently I, slightly sexism i think it definitely was i mean certainly i would agree with her on that i mean there's a history of uh, women's matches like that getting moved to smaller courts that never happens yeah. to the men 
she also said it got better, but and they went a long way, starting from Billie Jean King to to mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. But there's still a long way to go. But if you compare, of course, if you compare it to other women's sports, they're in a good position, but not yeah. equally. Yeah. If you see the the, the Forbes list uh, of last year from the uh, best paid female athletes worldwide, under the top ten, we have nine tennis players. On on this tenth uh, place, there's a U.S. soccer player. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's they know. And Andrea said, we know why we're earning that good money. It's because of Billie Jean King. Yeah. But if you if you if, if I see it here in Europe sport like uh, volleyball for example handball uh, German uh, German soccer uh, the female athletes they they get paid better than normal workers but it's not enough to compare to other sports or even to be that rich that you don't have to work after the career they are far far away from that you know yeah so they have to work besides that or they have to study besides that and this has also influence on their on their power in sports you know how often yeah. they can practice and stuff like it so it's still a long way to go but tennis is there on first place but still it's not equally and uh, as you know me i also try to to give this topics um uh place uh, in general not only in tennis i did a big big research last year also for Sportschau in in german football with sexual harassment and sexism in general so i also try to to cover it in tennis a bit or to give the people the the option to take care of it yeah definitely one thing one last question about the structure well two more questions about back to billy jean king cup the first one yes hopefully short about the round robin format this is often leads to um it's good in a lot of ways round robin format because it lets people know or ticket buyers, you know, okay, my country is going to be playing at this time on this day and at this time on this day, um, which is something you don't get in a normal knockout uh, tournament immediately, you know, at like a, you know, Indian Wells or US Open or whatever else, uh, where yeah. you don't know when, you know, your favorite player is going to be playing in advance. But I'm looking at the US group, Group C here. Yeah. The US advanced from over Slovakia and Spain. Um, all with three to three points, right? All, all with... Everyone in this match won a match to, uh, sorry, won a rubber 2-1 and then lost a rubber 2-1. And it came yes. down to the U.S. having a high percentage of sets won 54% and games won 54%. And like Slovakia, I know, was eliminated after their first two matches, which they didn't realize at first, I've heard. Um, uh, when they, cause they only had won 49% of their games and that was not going to be the best Um even if everyone finished one and one, so they were eliminated. And it's just—I don't know how much confusion there was about that, or how how you think this sort of round robin format works. And also, I'll, while I'm here, I'll add that also it's one difference between the the competitions is that the Davis Cup has 16 teams for the men's uh, finals, and the women only have 12, which makes the math a little bit trickier. I think even being in three team groups. Mm. So, what do you think about this round robin structure and only having 12 teams? I think in general it was a difficulty because of the old Fed Cup format also had only uh, quarters, right? The World Cup yeah. had eight teams. Uh, the Davis Cup had 16 teams, so round of last 16. Yeah, for me personally, it's horrible because I'm not good in math. <laughs> Greetings to my to my former math t- teacher. And I was doing my math on... It was it was horrible. Like uh, when, <laughs> when Germany was playing Switzerland, I was doing my math uh, and after... After the after Petkovic lost the first match and um, Angelique Kerber lost the second set against Belinda Bencic, 
I was doing the math exactly about the point, like with the negativity, and I only I I, I noticed that Germany only could have advanced to seven to eight sets. So and they would have been out anyway. But yeah. if they still had a chance, they had to wait two days, forty eight hours in Prague until tonight to watch Czech Republic against Switzerland to do the math and to see if Switzerland will win against Czech and then it would be the same situation like in the group of the US. Actually, I'm a fan of group matches like in the ATP finals. I like mm -hmm. the change of format yeah. if you have it uh, one or two occasions a year. Uh, also, the players like it in a way like they, uh, for example, uh, all the players I spoke to said like, we are not very good in adjusting after a loss very quickly, but because normally we are out going to the airplane and uh, traveling <laughs> to another spot on the tour. And here, for example, Germany played against Czech on Monday uh, at half past one. The match was over. Uh, Andrea Petkovic was the first in bed at 3 a.m. Uh, mm. The double players uh, with all the energy and uh, emotions, uh, they told me uh, she, she slept, uh, Jule Niemeyer slept at 4.30. And the next match was on Tuesday uh, at 5 p.m. again. Hmm. So it was a disadvantage uh, in this kind of, because you, and that's what you were asking. It's uh, three three uh, teams in a group and not four. So one team is always uh, having a break and maybe um, a small advantage. Uh, maybe they can adjust. And what I was hearing from ITF, it's not officially, but um, I think they will think about adding an additional uh, round or like in the Davis Cup um, to have three host nations with groups mm. there and then at once to a semi-final like a final four tournament at an own city uh, I think that will come in long term yeah I heard that, some rumors yeah. from ITF it's just, it's just one of those things that's surprising that it's not equal it would seem like world, like you mentioned before it's not new but the world group for Fed Cup was smaller than yeah. They qualified Cup. eight 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 qualifiers yeah. from a round robin uh, from a from an, a normal uh, home and away game. Uh, we had France and Canada, the finalist and the winner of the uh, last Fed Cup event, and we had uh, Czech Republic as the host nation. And so we come to twelve to twelve yeah. nations. That was it all about. I think eight or sixteen would be perfect, uh, and make four groups of four. And then you have equal opportunities for every country. So one topic I want to get to here, and this is a bit technical, but hopefully we can keep it not too confusing. Uh, <laughs> people may have noticed if they're following the event that the team, uh, which is I think probably my sort of my likely pick to win the tournament, uh, the team that includes players like uh, Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova and Daria Kasakina and uh, yeah. Kudermatova, Alexandrova, Samsonova, these good players, all of those are top 40 singles players. Um, they would not be winning the event technically for Russia. They'd be winning it for RTF, which is the Russian Tennis Federation. This is the first time we've seen this in tennis. Obviously, anyone who follows the Olympics will be sort of familiar with this concept of uh, the word Russia not being used at the last couple Olympics. At the 2018 Winter Olympics, they were called... Uh, OAR, which was Olympic athletes from Russia, and then in the 2020, which 2021 Tokyo Olympics, it was called Russian Olympic Committee or ROC. 
So here we have RTF being Russian Tennis Federation. This sort of surprised me, I got to say, or caught me off guard when I first saw it this week, just because we have not seen it in tennis before. And you, I would, was sort of confused about it not being used at the Grand Slams, which are an ITF event. And if Russia is on bad terms with the ITF as a, you know, International Olympic Committee member, then I'm kind of surprised it wasn't effective or, you know, affecting them at the at the Grand Slam level as well. We didn't see, like, Daniil Medvedev win you know, the U.S. Open with RTF next to his name instead of R-U-S. So what 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 do you know about this situation? And is it going to end at any point? Is this, a, is this a permanent situation? And were players there, you know, just calling them Russia? Because I'm honestly just inclined to call them Russia. I think I'll say my opinion early that you can answer this. I think this whole concept is stupid. I think either if you want to make an impact on Russia, like to punish them, you ban Russia. You say Russia can't compete. But to let a team in that's all Russians and just use some code word for Russia that's very obvious it has an R in it that stands for Russia, you know, like I, I just think it's pointless. I think I think it doesn't accomplish anything. But I'm curious what, what you think and what people around the competition think about RTF. I think you already answered everything necessary from a f fan side point of view. Like mm. it's bullshit in reality. Yeah. But on paper, you have to do something. Because Russian got a collective ban because of the collective state orchestrated doping. It's a yeah. fact. Uh, it's well researched uh, by by German journalist Hajo uh, Seppelt in 2015. With, Which with I will point out quickly though, and then you, I know you, you'd be good to give backgrounds. I know you know a lot about this topic, but I will say none of the sort of state sponsored doping that we're aware of ever impacted tennis. Correct. Yeah, yeah, that's and that's that's exactly the point. So on the one yeah. hand, you have to. You have the uh, orchestrated uh, state doping with a lot of examples, but obviously a lot of athletes who are still clean uh, not not have any doping violations. So what to do about this? It's a very tricky situation with, with a blind spot. Um, I wrote about it uh, before the ATP Cup uh, this year um, for Zeit Online. And the main thing uh, you already mentioned is like only the ITF is also bound by the VADA code, the most important code in the global anti-doping code. And um, the Billie Jean King Cup now and the Davis Cup are the only uh, team events organized by the ITF. Uh, also, the Grand Slams are organized by the ITF, you know that. Mm -hmm. But the problem is they call it as a team World Cup event. And only there, this rule is is there. Yeah. So they tried. It's not very clear in the in the in the rules, and um, they obviously excuse me because it's not my 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 language. I could explain it way more better in in, in German. So excuse me for for that. But uh, yeah, basically, they don't accept the ATP Cup as a team event. Yeah by the ITF and only the ITF does all the doping uh, controls in in tennis. So and that in turn is solely responsible for the anti-doping fight and the test at all events including the tournament on the ATP tour such as the ATP Cup because only the ITF is also bound by the WADA code the most important yeah. component in the global anti-doping fight. That's what I was yeah. writing in my article. Yeah, there, there was... I I, one last thing, I asked yeah. uh, how Russia could start their team event, the ATP, referred to the ITF uh, uh, back then. 
Stuart Miller, the longtime anti-doping manager, said in a mail back then, my opinion, the ATP Cup is not affected by the cast decision, Billie Jean Kirk Cup is. Therefore, the Russian athletes can start as a Russian team without restriction. And now they are starting as a Russian tennis federation, yeah. Yeah, so... It's a blind no spot, it's a blind spot. Uh, they are not... Uh, also, if you would be completely right, like when uh, when when Medvedev is winning the US, US Open, um, as a single player, you can't show the Russian flag, but yeah, it 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 it, it is what it is. Yeah, I just I just as a concept think it's it's dumb to if you're going to allow them to compete, just admit they are Russians. I think this sort of half step is is, is silly. Um, but I'll read briefly to finish this topic. Just what it says actually on the Wikipedia page. I think they summed it up well for Billie Jean King Cup. It says in accordance with the ban by the World Anti-Doping Agency and a December 2020 decision by the Court of Arbitration for Sport, the team from Russia is not permitted to use the Russian name, flag, or anthem. It will participate in the 2021 Billie Jean King Cup Finals as a team of the Russian Tennis Federation and will use the flag of the RTF. Which, and the flag of the RTF is three tennis balls, red, blue, and white, that look like a Russian flag. And also, if you looked at the Olympics, the the... ROC team was wearing, you know, these track suits that basically were just Russian flags. You know, it's mm. like white on top, then blue, then red. And so it, they were brought the flag with them. It's all, I think it's all just kind of farcical. Yeah, it, it underlined, it underlined what the ITF wrote me in, in uh, January, uh, uh, according to the ITF interpretation, um, affected these are the Davis Cup, the Bleaching King Cup, the World Cup and beach tennis, for example, and mm -hmm. the World Cup for wheelchair, wheelchair players. And then quote, at the events mentioned, Russian athletes are only allowed to compete as neutral athletes without a flag or anthem, and the ITF does not see the ATP Cup affected here either. I think you are the first person, Yannick, in NCR history to ever mention beach tennis on the show, by the way. It's yes. something the ITF always talks about. We never, ever hear anything about beach tennis, so shout out to beach tennis, I guess. Uh, I want to ask about just your experience also on the ground in Prague. Um, you were there. It was, like you said, it was your first tournament, time covering a tournament outside of Germany. Uh, since the pandemic began, what was the access like? What was the experience like as a reporter on the ground? I don't think there were too many reporters there, but what was it like for you? And how do you feel about how the sport is handling? Um, and this is obviously a unique event with unique management with the ITF compared to being an ATP or WTA tour event. But how do you feel about the access and how well you're able to sort of do your job at this point? I think a very important question for both of us in terms of we are both freelancing. Uh, and um, actually, I made a bold move and <laughs> and I was booking uh, Prague, Torino and Innsbruck uh, six weeks ago, even before I, I knew if I was getting an accreditation, how was the COVID situation. But I don't have to tell you that as a freelancer, you have to book early so that it's not that expensive with traveling and Airbnbs and all that stuff. And then I got the accreditation and I was told, uh, Yannick, basically nothing is possible <laughs> if you're not a uh, television uh, reporter and have the TV rights, you are not allowed to do one-on-ones. And I was sitting at home and crying a bit because I was saying like, what I, what, what I will do there when I don't get um, exclusive access, I won't uh, sell any pieces or interviews because then there would ju just be the normal press conferences uh, uh, and all my German colleagues, including the, the agencies, will be on Zoom um, having the same access and so everyone will... Well, buying the, the, the articles by the good um, uh, agencies and I won't do nothing. But mm -hmm. when I was present there, 
I was kind of a bit of a pain in the ass, which you have to be <laughs> as a freelancer. And I tried my best and I talked to the ITF press uh, managers, I talked to the German Federation, I also wrote uh, Werner Schüttler as a team captain, I wrote uh, uh, Andrea Petkovic. And basically you just can do that if you're an experienced journalist or at least three, four years uh, with good contacts. contacts. Otherwise, you wouldn't have a chance. And I said, like, look, I'm freelancing. I need some small uh, access to you guys. Otherwise, I'm lost here. And they made it possible. So other than the official uh, announcement, I got in one-on-one, -on -one, as, as we already talked about with uh, Andrea Petkovic. And it was basically half an hour before the official um, press conference with Germany on the media day. We were sitting in the official press conference room. Uh, she was sitting on the on the front, normal, uh, like on a normal press conference, and I was sitting six meters away. You can translate in food. Six in meters, food. so that's like about, yeah, about like eighteen, nineteen feet away. That's pretty far. Yeah, and um, I installed my my own microphone. I was uh, fertilizing it with um, <laughs> doesn't yeah all the Corona stuff, and I was putting it and, and installing it before she entered the room. Yeah. And um, so basically, uh, we know each other uh, from the from the tour, of course. And she, I said hi, and she said hi, Yannick. <laughs> like, are we doing this now? Yeah, like this. And she didn't know that, and I explained to her. And then we had the perfectly fifteen minute one on one. And because she's so good with media, I know that this would not affect the interview. But with yeah. m with younger players, with with shy, more shy players, with uh, more difficult topics, uh, this would be way more difficult because you, I don't have to explain you that, but maybe for the listeners, yeah. if you do written interviews on difficult topics or you want to ask something specifically, maybe you grab a coffee, sit on a table, do a bit small talk before coming yeah. to the actually topic. And this is not possible. The, the, the new normal, as I call it, is like this. We still have this uh, Zoom press conference, I've, and I think rightly so, because at the moment, not everyone has access to travel with the COVID restriction from every country to the tournament. For example, um, your good friend Reem, uh, she was in all... In, yeah, in, she's covering. She was, yeah. she was covering the tournament, and she was basically sitting in every press conference on the Zoom call, uh, putting uh, good questions and stuff. But we have to find a way, and I have actually a good wait. Let, last last point then. Yeah, yeah, no, this, is, this is important because I think we have to have some kind of difference, like the the, the journalists on site, especially the freelancers. They put a lot of money and energy to be there. Give them five minutes, an own press conference with own questions, own quotes, and then start the Zoom, maybe. But the problem is then the press conference goes longer. It affects the, the, the players longer. We still have problems with the access for the players. So I don't know what will be right, but for freelancers like us, it's a big problem at the moment. But still, it was better. And if you work hard and if you are a pain in the ass, you get a bit <laughs> access. Well, I always you. I think you and I are proud members of the press pain in the ass club on these things. So uh, <laughs> that's 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 something we're capable of doing. But I think that, yeah, I I think you're right. You have to maintain Zoom access, but you also have to make it worthwhile for people to be there in person, and also just to keep these relationships with players alive. It was actually really nice, at the, nice than I expected at the U.S. Open. 
getting to be in the same room with players again and in, in just the main press conference room. So, you know, seeing the the main stars again, being able to make eye contact, you know, with And this was unclear, by the way. Yeah. And this this was unclear in Prague before the tournament because of the different bubbles. The teams were in a bubble. The TV journalists were in uh, in Tire 1. And the photographers were in Tire 2. And uh, I have been in Tire 3. And the first comment was that I would be not able to sit in the same room also in the press conferences. In the end, we could sit there with distance and everything was okay. But you see there are some insecurities all around it. uh, And it has to be adjusted. And uh, that's why I'm happy also to travel to, to Turin. Uh, and uh, to Innsbruck and to see what is the new normal in general over a long period of tournaments. Yeah, no, definitely. So hopefully it comes back. I, I'm still trying to decide whether or not it makes sense to try to go to Australia. Things are still changing mm-hmm. there. Um, I don't know what the access will be go. like. I and, want to go. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to go too. I mean, obviously I want to get back to doing my job like normal and that, and that involves going to Grand Slams. Um, but yeah, obviously Australia, we know the rules there are changing and everything. Yeah, so we'll we'll see, but hopefully it just makes a huge difference. I think, especially because it's been a long time now. It's been you know, a lot can change on the in, on the tour in the tour in you know eighteen months or whenever since pandemic since the pandemic started. And there's lots of players who are relevant now, who I've had you know, and I have not been because there hasn't been honestly interest uh, from you know outlets that I write for. I haven't been covering you know the tour too closely in terms of some of the players who are coming up now, like there are some top 10 players like Paula Bedosa, for example, I was thinking like, I don't think I've ever been, if I have been in a room with her at a press conference, it was like when she was very young, just coming up in Charleston or something. And now she's a top 10, you know, kind of player. And there's other players like that, other examples of people who I just, I don't feel like I know them. They don't know me as well. And it makes it tougher to sort of develop uh, the sort of rapport and relationship and trust that's important to have as a, as a journalist. So yeah, so I hope that things can get back to normal soon. I hope that the tour appreciates what it's losing by not having full access like the old days. And hopefully, you know, the Australian vaccination rules uh, encourage players to get vaccinated. And we have a much higher percentage of players vaccinated in 2022. And that can lead to some re-normalization of the rules. Mm-hmm. I can add maybe a bit of uh, uh, small breaking news. Because okay. uh, if, you, if you remember one, two, three weeks ago, the numbers were like around 30 people on the men's side, top 100, not vaccinated. And on the women's side, around 40. Uh-huh. Uh, and I spoke to a German to a German uh, pro yesterday uh, on, on WhatsApp uh, because I will be in German radio to speak about the general situation with Australia and vaccination on, on Saturday. And I wanted to have a bit inside what the players are talking about and what's the situation now. And he said now the numbers on the men's side are up now. He, he was speaking around maybe 20, 15% in the top 100 not vaccinated at the moment. And he said it will grow now in the end of the season because some players were scared with side effects. Also with the story with um, with the French player, with uh, can you help Jeremy Shardy. Yeah, yeah, thank you, uh, Jimmy Chadi, which which uh, who had side effects. So he, the player I was talking to yesterday, was confident that the numbers will grow in direction ninety percent vaccinated. Let's see. We 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 know that Dominic Team got vaccinated within the last month. He was one of the holdouts yes. for a long time, and he mentioned that he got vaccinated. Um, so yes, yeah, so I think that Australia by putting on some pressure 
too, or even just the idea that there could be a, a big difference in outcomes. And people don't know. Basically, Australian Open, their sort of leaked plan, which I reported, um, was that, and there's been a lot of d- debate about this within Australian politics, but um, that unvaccinated players would have to quarantine for 14 days in the hotel, and vaccinated players would have to do no quarantine. Um, and so it's a huge difference, you know, even just competitively. You don't want to show up to Australia as an unvaccinated player and then have to play somebody in the first round who didn't have to do quarantine, who's much fitter and much more ready for the tournament. Um, so I think that would be a, a very effective uh, deterrent, even without there being a full mat mandate, which I know a lot of people still want. And I think it's the easiest way to do it, just to start mandating it. Um, I don't think there need to be exceptions made for people who are who are making <laughs> bad decisions. But yeah, um, we'll see. We'll see how that plays out and we'll see what people do about it. And like Novak Djokovic has been obviously the poster boy for this whole conversation uh, because he's the most famous person who's sort of openly, how do I phrase this, vaccine skeptical, let's say, or at least vaccine complicated. And and he's been very uh, undecided in his statements during the Paris Piercy Masters this week about vaccination mm-hmm. and things like that. Um one topic, Yannick, that you wanted to talk about, actually, um, which I'm don't sure don't to... don't put it on me now. No, I am putting it on you. We, I wanted to be both. clear. This is your idea. No, because <laughs> people think that I'm like obsessed with this, and it's not true. This is a Yannick Schneider topic here. Uh, I want to talk about the number one player uh, on the men's side from your country, uh, Sasha Zverev. Obviously, uh, and again, this is your idea. Uh, I'm curious what the coverage has been like for you. And if you can talk about it a bit from the German media side. Um, I've alluded to this in some tweets and some people may have seen in some other content uh, that there had not been very much uh, coverage at all uh, during the U.S. Open of anything that was in my second article about this topic for Slate. Um, but things really changed when the ATP announced this investigation into the accusations in the beginning of October. Um, so can you talk about what it's been like uh, on the German media landscape and what the sort of uh, impressions of it of the story are in Germany? Yes. First of all, I told Ben before the podcast it would have been a bit odd not to speak about Alexa Zverev between you and me. Uh, so I think it's good that we speak about it a bit, at mm-hmm. least. Um, obviously, very difficult topic. Uh, and very important topic. Uh, I spoke earlier in this podcast about my situation, like um, caring about this kind of topics like sexism and sexual harassment. I did a long time research last year in general in football. And then the player in tennis I report the most about is accused of such bad things. It's of course, obviously a tricky situation for me as a reporter that Crow and um, that writes now for national German media. And I tried to take it very seriously from the moment you published your first, uh, uh, your first research or also before when the, when the accusations came up on social media from her side. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course you have to, uh, be careful also on the legal side, uh, and stuff like that. I don't have to tell you. Well, well, you actually might have to be. You might you actually might have to tell people because it is it is stricter in Germany. I will say the media laws an, are different. I, yeah, I'm definitely not a law uh, law expert, but I'm happy that the big media has uh, legal teams that help me, yeah. uh, g- guiding me through it. Also with doping topics at the moment, there's an 
lawsuit ongoing also on a doping topic from from my side uh, without the help of the legal uh, of the lawyers from from the media i wouldn't be able to to report uh, in investigative ways i want to yeah uh, I, i cannot comment on whether it's more complicated i know it's different different from the us uh, lawsuit uh, this the thing is coming back to a question uh, how was the reception in 2020 It was very, very small. Uh, I was, uh, I, I'm not like, I don't want to celebrate myself, but maybe I was the only one uh, covering it in a big article uh, after your first, uh, uh, after your first um, uh, publication back mm -hmm. then. Uh, for example, the agencies, they didn't cover it. And since then, it's there for, for almost one year. And Everyone knew about it, but not how to handle it. Also because of the thing like how the ATP didn't show up, the ITF didn't do nothing. There was no legal lawsuit uh, from her side or, or from his side or from Team Swerve. So it was difficult until your second article came out. And even then, because of the, um, because of the situation that uh, Sasha Swerve spoke up and his team made legal actions with an um what's the english uh, oh a preliminary it? injunction yes exactly even then i was not allowed to cover it in a neutral way i wanted to do so uh, i think this is my approach for example like i'm taking the allegations as serious as i can take them 100% and i want to report about it in the way they are there But I also want to report about the sporting results, or I have to, uh, I want to, and to take both sides uh, the responsibilities. And this is very difficult to handle. I couldn't get one article through during the US Open. You also mentioned that other German uh, reporters told you it yeah. was uh, way difficult. Of, obviously, it was a game changer when the ATP uh, started uh, the investigation two or three or even four weeks. I think it was four weeks later after the US Open. Mm -hmm. And then my boss from the company, I wanted to publish the article. He contacted me, not I, him, to tell me like, this is a game changer, we can go on now. And then I published the next uh, uh, publication. Um, and but since then, you also tweeted uh, 10 days ago that uh, Olya Sharipova was not contacted by the ATP. I nope. don't know if that changed. Um, what not I, that I've heard. Nope. I, I, I talked to her again last weekend. Couple, yeah, about about two weeks after that, and still nothing. No. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a tricky situation. He he won his uh, fifth tournament of the season. He's in the sport form of his of his life maybe uh, he is a contender for the Paris uh, Masters he is a contender for the ATP finals in Turin I will be present in Turin I'm regularly in contact with his team on a professional basis so I have to to tell you they don't push me in one situation they for example they they respect me to to publish things about that and talk to me professionally anyway which I also respect. I hope that I can talk to him in Turin. Let's see if there will be an interview or something like this, because uh, that's what I wrote also in my article. The strategy is totally non-communication uh, non about this topic. Yeah, and that's basically all I can say. 
uh, what I maybe or what we agreed to talk about is maybe like your approach because obviously I know from my research last year in general about sexual harassment and sexism it affected me personally also in terms of it changed my mind like how I how I act towards women, how, how I respect mm. sexism, what kind of mistakes I did in the past, maybe when I was younger. Um, it was totally good for me to make up my mind about this whole topic and I am way more sensitive for it. For example, I don't think I would have put the Petkovic interview this week in that way three years ago, four years ago when mm. I was younger, when I was 26, tw 27. And I noticed that you don't cover Zverev in the sporting way, maybe because it also affects you what, what her, what her story is all about because it's so intense. And I know, for example, the German reception also, uh, some listeners of my advantage podcast and some yeah. readers of mine and social media, they contact me and they, they say things like, Oh, well, Yannick, I respect that you are so neutral that you put the allegations in a right way so you 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 say what it's all about but you also report about the sporting terms and maybe ben is a bit too much one-sided in his reception and that takes away something from him from his reporting that's the tennis bubble uh reception sometimes in germany uh maybe we can talk about this uh because well, I I you're, it's very you're, interesting you're talking about like how about basically how i don't tweet about his matches right yeah, because, yeah, tweeting and uh, obviously you cannot report about it in articles because you're a freelancer and you have to find uh, what? interesting ways for American, etc. But you're, of course, you're tweeting a lot and not only you. Uh, and that's, uh, you remember, I criticized uh, that also in WhatsApp one time when I said, look, the international tennis reporters, they have to show up in press conferences and be pain in the asses and go to the Zverev press conference and put the questions and be present uh, before the ATP investigation and stuff like yeah. that. Because I notice, because I have to be around in the press conferences uh, as a German reporter, there are only less less uh, people because they obviously are affected with this topic. Yeah, I, my basic answer is, I guess I don't want to make myself part of this story, largely. And, you know, I don't think it's a story about, obviously that's, already happened and you know it's very yeah you are a big part of the story if of you, course if you see the of reception in germany also uh, it's interesting for the readers um, a lot of uh, articles uh, mention your name uh yeah who's sure. the who is the journalist one swiss rep one one swiss colleague of mine which i respect uh, did a whole story on you which i find yeah. a bit too much in general <laughs> I, I respect i respect him he's a very good reporter not to get me wrong i have very good contact with him i would also say this in person to him maybe i will he helped me a lot but like putting the journalists in such focus it's it's an approach i don't like now what? maybe a lot of people will say but yannick what are you doing you're a freelance journalist you're doing uh, twitter a lot you, you're putting photos on instagram of course uh, I'm doing it, but this is a whole kind of other level. I find. I can tell you in that article there was a pro yeah the profile written about me yeah, in the in the Zurich paper and the Swiss media a bunch of different places put it that was originally his idea uh, Simon Graf's idea because of the difficulty he was having with the media lawyers publishing an article about this the case directly, and so he thought that framing it around 
me would be a way to sort of talk more about these kind of difficult topics in tennis without having to go too deep into the accusations against Zverev. Um, that was sort of his idea on how to approach this. Okay. But yeah, it was, it's unusual for sure, but also, but uh, yeah, but also Zverev is, is sort of mentioning me a lot in his statements. So that brings me into it. But also, yeah, I just, I just don't want anything I say about Zverev will be, people will analyze and try to make, you know, comments about or make interpretations of. And so I mostly just avoid doing it. And also I just don't watch his matches that much anymore. And my Twitter is a very unofficial channel. It's not it's not necessarily a priority for me to be the most complete tweeter that I can be. There's certainly there you know times when I've been there's some Masters final that I was missing one year. I remember I was at like a movie or something and didn't watch I don't know the Madrid final or something like that, and people were upset that I was disrespecting I don't know whoever was in that final. I don't remember like at all or something. <laughs> How dare you by How by dare not you? tweeting about How this dare? final? Yeah, but like I wasn't. How dare I wasn't you a... not to cover every every tennis match on the right? On the and there's tennis. Then. There's tennis constantly. And I, I'm not somebody who you know as much as I yes I have a, a a Twitter that I put some that I hope is informative for people and interesting. It's not, I don't necessarily don't get paid for it. I don't see Twitter as my job. It's something that I kind of do when I'm bored or when I have something that I think is worth sharing. And yeah, so Zverev, I, I don't mention very much. Like if he wins, you know, I, I, I've been watching that much tennis, honestly, either too, um, because there's been, again, less interest. If you look at the, the New York Times, we're doing way less coverage of tournaments between Grand Slams. Um, if I was assigned a, a match, you know, if like, let's say like my editor at the New York Times, like, hey, Ben, you're covering the... I don't know, the quarterfinals on uh, Wednesday afternoon for the Times, and one of them was a Zverev match. Yeah, I would write about what happened in the Zverev match. That would be no problem. Mm -hmm. But I haven't been getting, I haven't gotten those assignments recently that I can think of. And um, yeah, and so I, I just, I also just also don't think that it's, it's hard for me, especially it was before the investigation was announced, to sort of pretend like everything was normal around Zverev, I don't think was accurate to how I felt either. You know, I don't think that... Um, but that's that... the problem for everyone, no? Uh, that's the problem also for me as a big tennis reporter and journalist. Yeah. You cannot act like there, there happened nothing. Uh, first of all, it's very good that you that you uh, mentioned it now, what it's all about you. But I think if you if you put this podcast on Twitter, there there will uh, there will be listeners also from Germany. So it's good that we that we talk about it because one thing is clear for sure. It's not easy for anyone out there with this whole topic. First of all, for the women uh, and for all the people uh, who has have to report about it, surely it's also not an easy situation for the player himself um, and for everything what is going on. And as long as there is no solution, I'm also a bit naive. I, I have a good uh, female friend, she, she is a lawyer, Uh, she's also very young, so not that experienced, but um, she heard my radio uh, interview two, two weeks ago about the accusations and, and I was putting it that way, like as long as there is no official uh, law investigation with an, uh, with an result in the end, uh, this topic will always be around when he plays tennis, mm -hmm. when he dates women, when anything Ben Rottenberg is saying about it this will be, always be around and she said like I was very naive with it because lawsuits are not always only about the truth it's always about how good lawyers are what options are uh, stuff like that 
Oh and yeah. So I mean, even I think... if there is a result in the end, this is so far now that if Alexander Zverev retires, when Alexander Zverev retires in eight to fifteen years, it will still be a topic, no matter how this will go on the next months. It's a big thing. Yeah, we'll see. We'll also be able to see, I think, and judge the ATP investigation when we when we find out more about it when it concludes. Yeah, how transparent they are. You know, there was just this big investigation in that I've tweeted about. Some I don't know if you followed it at all, but it's an American story about the Chicago Blackhawks, who are a National Hockey League team, who investigated abuse by one of their uh, staff members against one of their players. And they put out this long, you know, like seventy-page report, an independent investigation, lots of details, lots of as much transparency as they possibly could, mm-hmm. um, and a bunch of people resigned from the team and stuff. I would be shocked if we get anything even close to that from ATP for their internal investigation. Uh, like you said, they haven't they, at this point. It, it's tough to know because they are being very uh, uh, opaque about it, very not transparent. And so it's impossible to know how good this investigation will be. To the point of his ignoring his tennis, like, I'm also just not covering most players that closely, honestly, on Twitter these days. I'm not writing about every mm. Rublev result or every Sitsipas result or whoever the comparable players to him are, you know, rankings-wise. Um, I just don't have that granular thing. And also, yeah, I, I, I've felt for a long time, like, especially before the ATP investigation, uh, and even while it's undergoing, ongoing, you know, acting like people want to hear about his results in my Twitter feed. I don't think it's something that people, if they want to follow him, it's not like, you know, I'm telling them not to watch him. It's their choice, but I just don't feel like, uh, yeah, it's something that I need to put in, in my feed that he wins a, a first round match against Dusan Lajevic. Yeah, yeah, sure. Also, it's a big difference. Uh, if you have like cracked a 100,000 Twitter followers, like you recently did, or mm-hmm. me, for example, I'm around 2000 followers. So obviously, I don't know how it is to have that energy in a positive way, but also in a negative way. Um, I think this is also important to talk about, like what uh, what you have to handle with uh, in terms of if you're tweeting about players in a single sports, uh, where, oh, yeah. where people I mean... follow a different. But but yeah. So just to get it right, I didn't want to criticize you. I just wanted to. Uh, to confront you with the reception, uh, like single yeah. single person in German, in German uh, are approaching the topic. What I want to add, because I think it's the most important to understand for tennis fans that listen to this podcast, is that I overall also in this podcast, or when I'm writing articles, obviously I'm a freelance journalist who has to have um who have to have um like approaching this topic that is officially still are allegations uh no matter how decent the article is at the moment the situation is how it is and this is a very difficult approach for example i also had the opportunity to talk to the team to him inofficially and the only thing I can say publicly is that it would be a good thing to speak about the whole topic publicly in a way but if this will happen on short notice with me or never 
I don't know, because if you watch social media, if you watch media um, approach, uh, it affects his whole career, Is it affects the life of the woman, it affects tennis Twitter, it affects the tennis buddies. It's so big and it won't go away. No matter, yeah. no matter how much of everything she claims he sh shall have done is true. If this is 100% true, if this is 10% true. Um, yeah. Uh, what I, what I notice about Alex Ferf, he's now 24. He was always a young man who has had problems to adjust in public life. We have already talked about this on occasional podcasts and articles. And before the accusations came up, I had the feeling that he is growing publicly. But obviously, with these accusations, very difficult, very difficult. Yeah, I and, will say, I, then, you know, like, like you're mentioning, this is our last thing to wrap up this topic. Like, I hope that he does talk about this, you know, in specifics at some point, because he still has not done that at all. You know, I mean, it, it's sort of it, his it's a bit his choice to leave questions from his side unanswered for, you know, a year now or more than a year now. Almost, I think almost exactly a year since the first article came out. Uh, and in and one last one last thing. One thing is very sure. If I had so, such accusations uh, as a private person in public, I couldn't work professionally. I couldn't live my life. I would be affected in a way that it would hurt myself and I had very much problems. I confronted in a podcast Tim Pütz with the whole situation who was in the double specialist, who was in the Olympic team mm -hmm. uh, in, in the same flat with Sascha Zwerer for one week with all the other German players. And um, he said, they, of course, they don't talk about this topic uh, privately, or at least he told me they don't. But he said like... He, I don't know the exact English word for it, but he has a Sasha Zverev has to has have, I always get it wrong. Sasha Zverev um, has to have a, a very very strong mind to play tennis and to live like nothing has happened at all or nothing, no allegations are there to live the life he lives at the moment. And Tim Putz said he couldn't do it, and I personally agree. I couldn't uh, do a podcast with you. I couldn't write good articles. Many people have had that reaction, I will say, with Zverev. Many people that are surprised at how normal he's been acting, publicly at least, uh, in the last year. Yeah. I just yeah. wanted to bring the, the opinion of Tim Putz up because I found okay. it interesting. Yeah. Well, I found your opinions here interesting too, Yannick. Thank you very much for being back on NCR. Uh, we where only wanted people... to talk... We only wanted to talk... 25 to 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was not happening. But what uh, what uh, did? Uh, where can people follow you and, and see some of your work going forward if they want to see, hear more? That's very nice. Uh, on Twitter, uh, on uh, Schneejan, it's my last name until the E and then J-A-N. Um, on Instagram, on uh, Yannick Schneider Official. And I have a German podcast called Advantage Podcast, which you can find on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And on Patreon as well, uh, I have interviews uh, with tennis pros and coaches and officials once a week. And for five euros a month, you get every episode, every week, 
in first place and in full length. And three days later, the free episode 50% is online on Spotify, Apple and on every other podcast location you know. But it's in German where I can speak way more and better. <laughs> so uh, if you have German skills, maybe you can try out. You spoke a whole lot here in English, don't worry. I can't imagine what it's like in German, but thank you very much, uh, Janik. Appreciate it. Thank you for coming on. Danke. I have to thank you like every time, and I hope to see you around in Australia in person and to drink some Sprudelwasser. That would be good. <laughs> Danke. So thank you again to Yannick Schneider for being on the show, and thank you to all of you for listening to NCR, and thank you for all of you who support NCR on our Patreon page. This is our first episode of November, so we're thanking everybody. Uh, who is at the on-tour level of backing or higher at patreon.com slash no challenges remaining. That's where you can go if you want to join those fine folk who are Peter Frey, Matt Mitchell, Rachmir E., Kristen Webb, Greg Rails, Olivia Haynes, Jeff Augustin, Deepa Mokshagundam, Ido Pollock, Nick, Mallory Mappas Couture, Laura Vergani, Aluko Hope, David Ebershoff, Ken Solomon, Kathleen Sharkey, Stephen Tidings, Danielle Hartzell, Horatio Silva, Joseph Har. Reginald Bazile, Misa Miyagawa, Annie Kim, J.B. Wogan, Jillian Dobson, Andrew, The Body Surf Podcast, Andrew Eccles, Ninja Steph, Joy Katz, Greer Millard, Bridget Robinson, Ava Marshalkova, John Fisher, Romdwalv Wong, Harish, Elise Panyich, Kate S., Jeremy Blackstock, Dermot Harkin, and Lori Porter. Those are our on-tour backers and our slam champ backers. We thank every episode are Susanna W., Sean Mulroy, Mary Carrillo, Leah Williams, Liz Kinnell, Jonathan Weinbaum, Jean Simeon, James Hindle, Antonio Maycumber, Anna Valinder, Timothy Liu, and Ashley Keel, and our GOAT backers, Nicole Copeland, Pam Shriver, and J.O.D. Until next time, bye folks. Bye.